We're going to be this morning in John chapter 8. In John chapter 8, if you would like uh, the outline notes, the fill-in outline notes, there is some on the front table if you'd like. I don't get offended if you don't take notes, but I provide them for, for those that would like to have them. Uh, they're there. So, so I mentioned before this morning, we're at John chapter 8, verse 12. Now, we begin really what is a much larger section uh, in the Gospel of John. So from, ver- chapter, from verse 12 really through the end of the, the chapter is one long section, but for ease of understanding and, and uh, gaining some insight, we're breaking it up into a, a few parts here as we come to John chapter 8. In, in these next chapters, so John chapter 8 and John chapter 9, uh, Jesus addresses some very hard topics, and we've seen that already at the beginning of chapter 8. And he speaks very straight. Uh, he's not pulling his punches, as it were. He tells things as it is, as we need to hear them. They are passages which are deeply convicting, but in that deep conviction can also be powerfully transforming. And that's why I think John includes these moments and these speeches and these teachings in his gospel here uh, to confront us, but to help us understand our need of saving. If you remember, of course, John's purpose is so that we will believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and in him we will find life. So the Word of God is powerful, and that's why we're, we're here uh, every day, you don't, you don't, or every every Sunday, you don't, you don't come to hear me. Really, you come to hear me speak about God's word and let God's word do its work in our life. And that's why we read it through the week and we study it. The word of God is powerful and its power is transforming. Um, I can't verify if this story is real or or not. Many years ago, in what was then called the New Hebrides, which Vanuatu, we know it now, there was a Uh, a French trader who happened to come across one of the chiefs of the tribes there reading a Bible. The uh, French trader went to the the chief and told him, what are you reading that for? Throw it away. It's just just lies. It's it's no good. The chief turned to the uh, French trader and said, if it wasn't for the Bible, you would have been in my pot a long time ago. Let's read John, or John chapter 8, beginning in verse 12. Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. The Pharisees therefore said unto him, Thou bearest record of thyself, thy record is not true. Jesus answered and said unto them, Though I bear record of myself, yet my record is true. For I know whence I came, and whither I go, but ye cannot tell whence I come, and whither I go. Ye judge after the flesh, I judge no man. And yet if I judge, my judgment is true, for I am not alone, but I am the Father that sent me. It is also written in your law that the testimony of two men is true. I am one that bear witness of myself, and the Father that sent me beareth witness of me. Then said they unto him, Where is thy father? Jesus answered, Ye neither know me nor my Father. If ye had known me, ye should have known my Father also. 
These words spake Jesus in the treasury as he taught in the temple. No man laid hands on him, for his hour was not yet come. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, as we come to your word this morning, we thank you for the opportunity to be gathered together and to learn together. We pray that the straight words that you give to us through your words to the Pharisees would be challenging, encouraging, and transforming. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Our text begins in verse 12 where Jesus says, I am the light of the world. This is the second of the I am statements that John uses to tell us about who Jesus is. The first was in John chapter 6, we saw, which was, I am the bread of life. This, again, appears to take place around the time of Sukkot, or tabernacles, which we mentioned last week that first part of chapter 8 kind of fits a little awkwardly there because we had the end of chapter 7 being about the tabernacles. And this, again, seems to fit that time frame. So in John chapter 7, Jesus likens himself to living water, which was part of the ceremonies of tabernacles. And here, verse 20 tells us that we find Jesus teaching in the temple again. Here he is teaching in the court of women, so the outer court of the temple at the, the time. Now, the court there, at the particular, at this, uh, at this time, was important, because in, in the court of women there, there were four uh, giant candelabras, or menorahs that stood in this court. They were massive. We're told these candelabras stood 22 meters high. The wicks they used to light them during the time were made of the priest's old robes. So as they do, they would keep them, store them, and use them as wicks to light this robe. When these were lit at this time, it was lit on the first night of the celebration of tabernacles, when they were lit, we are told that the light from these four candles lit the whole city of Jerusalem. You could see the candles and the light from the candles no matter where you were in Jerusalem. As we put these two ideas together, the water and the light that Jesus talks about, the water we saw reminded us of the provision that God gave them in the wilderness. The water from the rock and the life that came from it. These lamps that they light in tabernacles, of course tabernacles being about the wandering through the wilderness, was a reminder of the pillar of fire and cloud that traveled before them while they were in the wilderness. You can read about that in Exodus chapter 13 and 14. And while the water partly symbolized the, the coming of the Holy Spirit, the candles were a reminder that God would send light, that God would send the Messiah. So Jesus uses these things, and just like he used the water uh, beforehand, he's going to use the light from the candle to teach us about sin and about redemption, about God and about salvation. And the very first thing we come right across, right at the beginning, is that straight truth, Jesus lights the world. We're going to take most of our time this morning, we'll be in verse 12, contemplating what Jesus says in verse 12, and then looking at the rest in its support role here. But verse 12 says, Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Here, as Jesus speaks to us about being the light of the world, we find that this is revealing his nature, 
he is revealing to us his nature. He says, I am. I am the light of the world. This is a very purposeful statement. This is not a passing comment. This has purpose. It has, has a direct meaning here that they understand. The Jews immediately understood what he meant. Just like in John chapter 6 when he said, I am the bread of life. Again, when he says, I am the light of the world, those Jews, the Pharisees there, immediately knew what he was saying and what he was referring to. That little title, I am, is a deliberate reference to the Old Testament name of God. A name that God would give when he calls them out of Egypt. It's a name which is deeply important around the time of tabernacles because it was this name that God gave to Moses when he said, I'm going to lead you out of Egypt through the wilderness and to the promised land. In Exodus chapter 3, in fact, I might read just a few verses from there to put it in context. In Exodus chapter 3, verse 12 sort of starts this. There's some key phrases along this moment. Exodus 3 verse 12 says, and he said, that is God said, certainly I will be with thee. And this shall be a token unto thee that I have sent thee when thou hast brought forth the people out of Egypt. You shall serve God upon this mountain. And Moses said unto God, behold, when I come unto the children of Israel, and shall say unto them, the God of your fathers has sent me unto you, and they shall say to me, what is his name? What shall I say unto them? And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say that to the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. And God said moreover unto Moses, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, Yahweh God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob hath sent me unto you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial unto all generations. There's an important connection between these verses as God speaks to him, and it begins with that statement at the beginning of verse 12, certainly I will be with you. It's a statement of promise. That statement of promise is bound up in those names, I am and Yahweh. They all go together. I am is, is a word, and as best we can understand it, means one who is self-existent, one who is eternal, one who just is. I just am. No beginning, no end, no creation. I am the one who is and the one who will be. It means that if he is the one who just is, that he is the one who is the source of all things, the one from which everything comes. It is a name, as we saw in verse 12, which is connected with promise. Then immediately, having said, certainly I will be with you, immediately in verse 15, he connects that promise with a name, Yahweh. That is my name forever. This was a name revered, of God. It is a name of transcendence that is I am. He just exists. He is beyond us. He is beyond what we can imagine. He is beyond what we can think. He, he knows. He, is, he just is and we can't possibly comprehend it. It is a name of transcendence. And yet, while it is a name of transcendence, it is also a name of, of 
promise, certainly I will be with you, and a name of relationship. Because look how he, he brings it to us in verse 15. And God said unto Moses, Thus shalt thou say to the children of Israel, Yahweh God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. This is my name forever. And this is my name to every generation. So it's not just a name of transcendence that God is and was and always will be and is far beyond us. It is a name that says this God who is and was and who is far beyond us has reached down to us and has committed to us. Jesus, when he says that he is the light of the world, I am the light of the world, here is not saying that he has light. He is saying he is the source of light. I am the light of the world. At the end of the Feast of Tabernacles, the candles, the great candles in the court of women would be put out. But the light of the world would never go out. He always exists as the light of the world. Here he is making a very clear claim. He is God. He is the light. Jesus is light by nature. And this is one of the great themes that John uses through his gospel. And we've spoken about it a number of times, the, the relationship between light and darkness. He began by showing this in John chapter 1 and verse 4. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended or understood or uh, could control it not. Light has always been associated with God. The psalmist says in Psalm 27, the Lord is my light and my salvation. We read before and we've sung songs uh, this morning, uh, the, the very last song we sang, the last verse spoke about the light. We need no light in the city of God in heaven in eternity because the lamb is the light. In Isaiah 60, it says to that end, the sun shall be no more thy light by day neither for brightness shall the moon give light unto thee, but the Lord shall be unto thee an everlasting light, and thy God thy glory. In John, in 1 John, John uses this theme again, light and darkness, and he says that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. You know, Kirsten likes when we go out on picnics, she likes to go to places where there's dappled light. Little bit of light, little bit of shade. In God, there is no little bit of light, little bit of shade. He is all light. Light in the Bible speaks of holiness. It speaks of righteousness. It speaks of purity. Light is revealing and it is illuminating. And so Jesus says, as he declares himself to be the source of this light, that he is the light of the world. His influence is wide. It's universal. It's not directed. It's not confined. It's not a laser light which is focused. He is the light of the world. In, in the, the great uh, proclamation of, of glory when Christ is, is born in Luke chapter 2, Zechariah says, a light, quoting from the Old Testament, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles 
and the glory of your people Israel. God isn't just revealing himself to Israel, but to the world. Like the light of the candles reached the whole city of Jerusalem, the light of God reaches the whole world. His light reaches to you and to me. His light, as light of the world, is revealing not only his nature, but in that he is revealing the way. He is revealing the way. Listen to what he says. I am the light of the world. He that followeth me. He that followeth me. The light of God isn't like a torch. If I get a torch, I can take that torch or even a small candle. And what do I? I hold it in my hand and I shine the light where I want to look, where I want to go. The light of God is not like a torch. The fire that led the people of Israel in the wilderness didn't follow the people of Israel. Israel moved when the fire moved. And so the light of God, Jesus here, doesn't move the way we move or do what we want. It is what we follow. We follow his light. Here Jesus calls us to follow him. We're to believe. We're to obey we're to follow. Matthew chapter 16, Jesus says to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. We follow him because he is the light that reveals the way. He shows us which way to go because we lack light. We're to follow him because we lack light. To follow Jesus we're told is to walk in the light. So not to follow Jesus is to walk in darkness. It means the light, the knowledge that we need to know life is outside of us. There is no inner light. Despite what so many people and so many religions want to tell you, there is no inner light. There is no essential goodness in man, the light that we need is outside of us, not in us. That's why we must follow it. John 3, Jesus tells us after he's told us that, that uh, he would die for us and that he loves the world so much he gave his only begotten son, Jesus says that we love darkness rather than light because our deeds are evil. So not only is there no light in us, we love the darkness that is in us. That's why I need light. I need light because we are in spiritual darkness. See, while Jesus is concerned about these other things, Jesus' main concern in this life is not health. It is not your, your wealth or your prosperity or your happiness. That is not his main concern. His concern is that you know the way of life. That you know what it is to be alive. In our darkness, in our spiritual darkness, we stumble around looking for answers. And we will substitute God with, with anything we can find, with all sorts of things. We'll, we'll grapple and we'll grab onto anything that we think will give us satisfaction. 
anything that we think can show us a way or give us some guidance or, or lead us to, to truth or happiness. It means, though, that because we're grabbing onto all of these things in, in our darkness and nothing seems to satisfy, we live lives that are deeply, deeply unsatisfied. We are in a constant state of longing. We're always searching for more, something to satisfy. This leads us to a whole host of issues and illnesses and catastrophes because we're constantly looking for something to satisfy and in our blindness, we cannot find it. Groping for things that will never satisfy. So we reach for the substitutes because we're designed for spiritual life. We're reaching for things. We're trying to find satisfaction. We're trying to find hope. We're trying to find life because we need it. That's what we were created for. In Ephesians chapter 4, we're told, having their understanding darkened, being alienated, separated, broken from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart. So in revealing his nature and revealing the way, Jesus is showing us that he can restore life. He can restore life because he reveals the way to life. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, For it is God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. By Jesus, we see God. By Jesus, we see what spirituality truly is. We see what God meant when he talked about being alive and having life and being spiritual. We see a new, true reason to live. And that light of God, every day, reveals more. It reveals more of who I am. It reveals more of who God is. The light of Christ exposes that I am not what I should be. It exposes that in me, I know I'm a monster. It reveals that. But while it reveals that within me is a monster, it also reveals how I can be what I should be. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 7, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Verse 9, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. To walk in the light means to live consistently with his commands, to follow him. It's why we're told that God's word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. It's why we're told in that very same psalm, take heed to God's word because it will keep us from evil. Light, as we saw in John chapter 1 and verse 4, gives life.
It takes me out of the spiritual blindness, the spiritual darkness. It opens my eyes to spiritual things. See, we, we all understand, every one of us here understands that there are some things about Christianity which just do not make sense logically. The resurrection is a ridiculous statement that somebody could be raised from the dead and ascend into heaven if I'm thinking about it logically. It doesn't make sense. We have never seen it happen. It is outside the realms of our understanding of what nature can do. It doesn't make sense. Not until the light of God shines in my life to see the truth. To understand it. God takes his word, he takes the truth, and he makes me to be able to make sense of it. To see what in my own knowledge and in my own understanding seems ridiculous is not, is in fact a truth far beyond what I can comprehend. Listen again to what he says here, which takes us another step into the beauty of what Jesus means by he is the light of the world. I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. When we believe Jesus and we follow him, we don't just get guidance. We have the light of life. His light becomes my possession. This implies two great gospel truths. The security of the believer in the hand of God because of the abiding presence of God. Now, do you remember when we went back to Exodus chapter 3, what God connected with his promised statement of I am and Yahweh? I will be with you. Jesus means the same thing here. His very presence. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 27. To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of the mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The light, the life, God himself never leaves. Jesus lights the world. And so Jesus leads the way. So we come to verse 13. The Pharisees therefore said unto him, Thou bearest record of thyself. Thy record is not true. Here we see people rejecting the light. Now as Jesus says to them, I am the light of the world. He that follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. The Pharisees have a very, very convincing argument. Nuh-uh, you're a liar. That's their response. You can't say that. You're a liar. And that's uh, how so many arguments even these days turn out. We can't refute the truth, so we call names. They knew that what Jesus says was true. They knew he was right. It only takes just a little bit of light for us to understand the truth within us. And we can't refute it. When we're honest with ourselves, we know Jesus to be true. He reveals our heart. 
their reaction to him shows that they don't want to listen. They don't want to hear the truth. They just want to do their own thing, which reveals exactly what Jesus is saying here. Our heart is in darkness and needs light. Their argument here is based on a legal thing of the required witnesses. So Jesus gives them the required witnesses and answers their thing. So their baseless uh, counter-argument is on this legal trap that you need the testimony of two witnesses to prove that something is true. The problem here is Jesus is speaking to us beyond our range of knowledge. He's telling us things that are outside of our scope of understanding. We need someone to tell us what is outside of us. They are trying to evaluate eternal things in a temporal framework. This is how our world still works. People evaluating Jesus and people evaluating God based on how they understand the universe to be. How they think, how they know within their field of knowledge, we determine whether God is true or not. There was more than enough evidence, even physically here, to support Jesus' claims of deity. They reject his claims because it doesn't fit their framework. It doesn't fit their desires. A framework that can't account for things outside of their understanding. So Jesus tells them, not only does he have his own word, he has the word of the Father. Jesus not only establishes his own credibility to speak on eternal matters, but he gives an eternal witness. The Father bears witness to Jesus. The very God that they claim to worship, the God that they supposedly worship through this Feast of Tabernacles, has testified Jesus is the light. At his baptism, a voice is heard, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Through every single miracle, Jesus confirms he is the Messiah. Through every word of his teaching, he confirms he is the Messiah. Jesus has very carefully shown he is the fulfillment of everything the Old Testament said the Messiah would be. And so in doing this, he reveals the path, he reveals the way. As I said before, the, their problem was they looked only at the physical. Jesus says, you judge by the flesh. You judge based on what you know, what you can see, what you can feel. They judged eternal things as finite creatures. Despite their claims to believe in the supernatural, they lived and they evaluated only by the natural. Too many today try to define God and confine God to a rational, physical explanation. It is impossible to judge Jesus that way because we cannot possibly know all the facts. It's impossible. Jesus is telling us there is something beyond our understanding. 
We can't evaluate it the same way we do what we see and what we feel. We must listen to what he has to say because he knows the destination. Say, who's your father? Where did you come from? Says, you have no idea where I come from and, and where I'm going because you can't know that. It's beyond you. Jesus can teach us eternal things because he is from eternity. I am. He sees the eternal's perspective. He is the Alpha and Omega. He is the beginning and the end. And so he sees everything from the beginning to the end. He knew where he was headed. He knows the outcome of all of history. John chapter 5, we saw in the beginning, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it, or literally the darkness could not overcome it. We're not asking to, he's not asking us to put our faith in an experiment. He's asking us to put our faith in Jesus, the truth. Because Jesus, and only Jesus, leads to the Father. So verse 19 says, Then they said unto him, Where is thy father? Jesus answered, Ye neither know me nor my father. If ye had known me, ye should have known my father also. In this he reveals their ignorance. The ignorance rising from their defiance. Just like ours. We try to deny Define him based on our understanding, on our predetermined criteria. Jesus says, how can you know that? You can't. So he shows us that he is relating to the Father. Many people think that they know God. You can ask you know, people all around you, from all sorts of fields of, of religion or understanding or study, and in one form or another, people are going to tell you, oh, I know God, or I know something like God, what I want to be God. And yet, they treat Jesus with contempt. Jesus didn't die for sin. Jesus isn't the Savior. Do you believe there is a God? Oh, I believe there is a God, but not this Jesus. Jesus isn't some Savior. Good man, maybe. But Jesus tells us here, you cannot truly know God without knowing Jesus. So if you say you know God or know a God, but you don't believe Jesus is the Savior, you do not know God. You know something of your own making, something of your own idea. Jesus is the light of the world. He is the one who will lead you to life the only one who will lead you to life. So Jesus calls us to follow him, to believe him, to listen to him. By following him, you will not just know the way, you will possess true and eternal life. You will have the light of life. He will be with you. He will abide with you always. And in his light, you will be transformed into the person you were created 
to be. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to hear your words, to be reminded that you are the light of the world. You are what we need. We thank you as people who have believed you as Savior that we don't just have a way to see what's before us, a way to follow, but you have put light within us. The very presence of God to mold us, to satisfy us, to bring us joy and contentment and eternal life. And our prayer this morning is firstly that that light that is within us would shine brightly through us. And secondly, that those who may be here this morning still in darkness would have the light of God shine into their lives to see the truth of Jesus. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.